Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. Have you recovered yet? Oh, my goodness. Um, I think I'm still recovering a little bit. Oh. You know, trying to wrap my head around this new world, <laughs> which, you know, we'll give we'll give we'll give a little bit of a roundup on and then we're just going to move on. We're going to move on. We're going to talk about something different. Yes. But first. But first, um, we have to shout out a lot of folks for their support uh, because um, this election uh, brought a lot of people to the podcast. And so welcome if you found the podcast through the election. And uh, and the Patreon's been really popular. So thank you so much to Bubble Guppy, to Neve, to Graham, to Michael, to Quail, to Barbara, Martin, Elliot, Sherry, and Michelle for all of your uh, support. And to all the patrons that have been supporting us um, for months, uh, whose names have, you know we don't get to see every single month, but we do appreciate the support. You folks make this happen, and we couldn't do it without you. Thank you. Okay, so Roundup. Last week, we were kind of like, you know, this doesn't seem so bad. The election outcome, obviously, is what I'm talking about. This liberal minority, where perhaps there would be some willingness to ally with uh, the NDP to push forward maybe some of the more progressive things that we all hope can happen. Well, mm-hmm. if this week was any indicator, <laughs> it seems like uh, the Liberal Party is more likely to be allying with the Conservative Party to pass through some of the things that perhaps the majority of people who voted don't want to happen given that the majority of people who voted voted for parties that don't want these types of things to happen. And of course, I am talking about uh, this week's uh, commitment that Justin Trudeau and uh, the liberals have made to a focus on uh, both tax cuts and building the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Things that that weren't uh, number one, top of mind, being talked about uh, in the election but of course the election's over now and the liberals can take off that progressive veneer and show you all <laughs> what we've been saying forever that they are not who they pretend to be it doesn't bode well for the next no what let's make it one and a half years <laughs> <laughs> one and a half okay max two <laughs> I, uh, I I think that, you know, it's important to keep things in perspective. It's still a minority government is still better than majority government because the liberals like bought a pipeline. <laughs> so it's not a huge surprise that they want to continue doing pipeline stuff. But yeah, it's it's definitely, I think, coming as a surprise to some progressives who believe uh, the liberal rhetoric um, on caring about the environment or caring about funding services and therefore not necessarily needing to, to cut taxes. Of course, taxes are, are at all time lows, um, corporate taxes especially, but also personal income tax. And I don't know, um, Sandy, how do you fight this if they're going to ally themselves with the conservatives? It just seems so bleak. Well, I think, you know, last week on the podcast, we talked about this um, on the live show where was it the live show? I don't remember. I think we talked about this in the last couple episodes and probably episodes long before. (laughs) But the (laughs) most important thing, especially in a minority government situation, 
is to have really strong social movements, uh, political action on the ground that forces the political parties to pay attention. Because as we've said before, in a minority government situation, the government can fall at any time. And so it is going to be really imperative uh, on those of us on the ground who are organizing to force uh, the parties to respond to widespread mass demands for things like uh, a different direction on the climate crisis, uh, for things like, you know, not being able uh, to afford these these types of tax cuts. And in fact, what should be happening is more taxes on the wealthy or things like uh, a dental care program. You know, like the, these things we, we really need uh, to be fighting in the streets uh, to make sure that these things happen because as we've said before on this show, the liberals are just not uh, interested in uh, good policy for good policy's sake. They're not super focused on, uh, you know, on on making the society better. And they do have other interests, and, and those are their corporate interests uh, and, and the people who really fund their party. And so it's, it's going to be up to us uh, to create the political pressure that we need uh, to force some of these uh, these these bad policies to go away, and for these good policies to have some sort of uh, implementation vision. Yeah, yeah, like the 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 door is a little bit open, and the liberals running towards the conservatives as their first order of business is not too surprising because the liberals also chase polls, they also chase popularity, and with the conservatives having win having won the popular vote and the NDP doing so poorly. It's not super surprising that they went right, also because they go right whenever they get elected rather than going left. But it is possible to push them left. And and there was an interesting, um, something interesting happened this week that I thought, oh, okay, here perhaps is the sign that the conservatives are perhaps worth our time in terms of fighting them to change their position on climate change. Blaine Higgs, the the uh, premier of New Brunswick, was saying that it was very clear in his province's case that they voted in favor of the carbon tax because in New Brunswick, there was, you know, most people voted liberal and they also uh, elected a green candidate. And he's anti-carbon tax, but he said that, well, you know, the will of my people is that. And so I'm I'm comfortable with that. And it, it reminded me that conservatives are like, like the current brand of conservatives are so connected to what their constituents think that they too can be pushed right we don't have a hardline ideological conservative party right now like we had under Stephen Harper and so the the force that movements can have on not just the liberals but also the conservatives is really important we're going to be able to move that yardstick this is the time that we can do it and we have to like as we keep saying on the show get out of the logic of partisanship and 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 do that on the ground work to convince local candidates that they will feel intense heat if they don't do what their uh, what their constituency wants them to do, because they know that if at the drop of a hat there can be an election, they need to have had the cred and the work done on the ground to confirm that they can rewin their seat. And that's the power of the minority government, that they will enter into that electoral period, the conservatives being the ones with the most power in this situation other than the liberals. Um, they can enter into that electoral period if they know that they'll, or if they think that they'll know that they'll win. And so 
now is the time to get to work and to do that work and 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 not feel like it's completely bleak. And, you know, again, if you voted liberal or if you support the liberal party, like, sorry, folks, um, you're extremely part of the problem. <laughs> like, I really hope that you're calling every liberal person. Why don't you listen? <laughs> I hope that you call every liberal person, you know, and be like, what in the fuck is this bullshit? Because that's exactly what this is. This is bullshit. And let's also not discount the generational divide on a lot of these issues. And that for anybody who's under like 50, like we're fighting a very entrenched social um, a construction of, of how politics works and what politics is. And while, of course, there's good people over the age of 50, I mean, the, the millennial bulge, the, the Gen Z bulge that's trying to take back control of their politics, uh, we're not really getting anywhere. We're, we're, we're still quite held captive by this old guard um, that refuses to, you know, realize they're wrong or retire or go away. <laughs> So let's just keep up the fight, folks. We're not, um, there's no reason to get too, too down uh, about stuff. Yeah, unless you pay attention to the media. In that, in that case, it's all fucking bad. Because I don't know if you saw Sandy this week, but they announced who the new um, Margaret Wente is. Oh, I sure fucking did. <laughs> I was, I was like, ah. I was like, oh, she's leaving CBC opinions. That's great. That's great. That is on the face of it. Great for society. And then I saw where she was going so you know whatever fuck the globe and mail uh most of yep. the things uh that they uh put up is behind a paywall that who should be paying i i hope that nobody out there is paying um the globe and mail to get past their paywall because they've had some pretty terrible writers in the past <laughs> everyone who listens to this podcast and applied for a position with the globe and mail thinking that maybe 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 was their time sorry I really do feel your pain because, like, that sucks. <laughs> it is it's such bullshit. Wow. Okay. I thought I'd just slide that in there because I wanted to acknowledge how fucking bullshit that is and how fucked we really all are. But we're not talking about that today. And we're not really going to talk too much more about the federal government today either because we've done a fucking lot on that dumpster fire. <laughs> right. But we are going to talk about something a little bit related. It's kind of like, okay, so you're probably wondering to yourself, it's a minority government. These people keep telling us that we have to organize. What are some things that we have to think about when we are organizing on the ground? And so we are going to talk a little bit about that. And I mean, you know, we this this the idea for this podcast came from one of our um, attendees for the for the live show. So thank you uh, for this. We're going to talk a little bit about um, and Nora. I mean, we we. We talked about this so briefly before the the show started, but I'm gonna I'm gonna term it education. Oh, how how we educate people, okay? Um, when it comes to uh, organizing, but also a little bit of culture because education and culture are so um, mixed in together. And I want to frame it around education because I don't want it to just be a conversation like many of the conversations or think pieces that we've seen before. And so the big reveal of the topic is, you know, there's like a frustration that often happens about uh, the left eating the left and um, how the culture of the left is so exclusive and so on. And I really, really do think that that is linked to uh, different ideas of how uh, we educate one another on the ground. And do you know what I'm getting at here, Nora? Like, does that make sense to you? 
I think it does. Okay. Tell me what, what that brings up for you. Yeah. I think that when we're trying to figure out how to convince other people, um, we forget that that's number one, a skill. And it's number two, it's not a skill that's rooted in how much education you have or, or in any of those things that can kind of put you uh, in a societal place that, that makes you superior to another person, right? And I'm specifically thinking about universities, right? Like you learn the best arguments that you learn, you, you, you understand the best arguments you learn from Marx and you're going to use Marx to go out and spread the good word of, of Marx to, to people who are, who are, who are less educated or less intelligent than you are. I'm not, not, and I think that a lot of times we, we understand education to be that, which it is, should not be. And, and when it's done well, it isn't. But the idea that through organizing, we are able to transmit different ways of thinking about things that we experience every single day, that's where like extremely radical work happens. And we don't really talk about how to do that work, where to do that work, and, um, and the most effective ways to do that work. Am I, am I right? Or <laughs> am I... Yeah, well, I, I don't think it's a right or wrong thing. I just think like I wanted to frame the conversation about around education because um, I I think that talking about, you know, having a like a, um, a, a kind of beheaded, I guess, conversation <laughs> about how how the left just eats itself and oh my, that sucks, um, isn't very useful. I see. And I think it's not very useful uh, because I've seen that conversation for the last 10 years now. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it doesn't do anything um, to say like, oh man, the left is so uh, ununited and to leave it there. But like, let's talk about why we're not united um, or what we can do about it or why we're feeling this way. And one of the things that I think is so crucial to having a um, a good, well-organized social movement that isn't just stagnant, but is also committed uh, to becoming better is a social movement that is able to have debate um, and that has forums for where debate can happen and is couching that debate in experiences uh, that people who uh, need the change that we seek in our society the most, uh, what those experiences are. And I don't know that we have those types of fora. And so what I think that that ends up doing is that some people or groups of people will have an idea of how things should be. And, um, you know, things are so urgent. And so it, people are very, very passionate about how things should be. And perhaps we skip the piece where we do the educating and the debating and the um, discussion with one another on the left. And instead, we're like, this is how things should be. And I'm so resolutely to how resolutely committed to how things should be um, that I, I'm just going to go ahead and work on that. And if people don't see why this is the way that things should be uh I don't have time for the education so I'm just going to keep keep going <laughs> right uh, keep focusing on that and then that could uh create an air of resentment but that doesn't mean that those folks are incorrect um and it doesn't mean that the folks who maybe don't get it don't understand um uh these really passionate positions um aren't going to come along at some point it just means that we're missing like a step, like a crucial step. Like that's how I feel about it. I don't know. What do you think? 
Yeah, I think when you said having a discussion that's a bit like like decapitated, I think is a really uh, gruesome and interesting way to think about it. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you know, it's you might be listening to us on Halloween, so there you go is your little Halloween treat um, to think of. Perfect. <laughs> social movement debate. <laughs> <laughs> because the so I. And maybe it's just because, like, I'm super cynical and I'm often accused of being, like, way too critical to other people on the left. But I I actually don't really buy the line about the left eating itself. Um, I have certainly read articles by people who've written that the left is so ineffective because it can't get its shit together and because it's always shitting on, on one another. And certainly in the last federal election, you could look at the Greens and the NDP and you could say that's maybe what happened. Um you can look at uh, a lot of other examples, actually, too, especially if you're like in a union situation and people totally disagree on the tactic that you're supposed to take. And as you say, there's no location to have that debate to decide what the best tactic might be. Now, I've, I've just written my, a manuscript for a book that's going to come out next year. And, um, and and this is awesome because this is actually like the first my first two chapters in the book is talking about literally this. <laughs> Oh my god! I didn't plan it at all. <laughs> I know Sandy's not seen this 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 manuscript yet. Um, I have and, not. And the the problem, the real problem, is not that the left is eating itself. Like my god, like the the biggest victims of of Stalinism were fucking communists, right? Like the left has a long history of killing other lefties. Um, the the real problem is that there are no locations to have debate and so what we're left with is the only debate that we can have is debate that's online and I think when it's debate that's online it it becomes even more explosive even more divisive because there really isn't much ability to mitigate our our um our rawness and so what i mean by that is first of all if you're if you're debating with someone online you need to be very literate right you need to be able to read and understand and synthesize and be fast in your writing and be clear in your writing or else everything goes off the fucking rails and in a real life debate you don't have to be that literate right you actually can look at someone's facial expressions you can understand if they're uncomfortable you can understand if they're angry you can understand if the heat has gone too high and we just need to like take a moment or you can understand if someone's really on your side or if they're being sarcastic or if they're making a joke. None of that exists online. And instead, what we have is we have outsourced our individual interactions to private for-profit corporations that are run and founded by Nazis and Nazi sympathizers <laughs> who <laughs> actually make it completely impossible to have an, a, a, an online version of a real-life debate. And so, like... You know, Sandy, you and I, we're not in the same room right now. I can't see your face. Uh, I can hear your voice. I can hear the tone of your voice. And this is a conversation that is, sure, it's being mitigated by our phones, right? But the the voice medium, the reason why podcasts are so excited is exciting and, and expanding is because people, like, really can hear the warmth or the anger or the fury or the intention or the sarcasm in voice. In print, it is not the same thing. And instead, we are writing to one another, mitigated through platforms that say, oh, no, 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 you can't say that word. Or, oh, no, 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 you can't exceed 280 characters. Or, oh, no, 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 you can't take more than five minutes or 10 minutes or two days because otherwise it's gone, right? Or whatever. And that fucking changes everything. That changes literally fucking everything. And don't you think it is fascinating that we 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 hear more about the left eating itself than we do about whether or not communication on social media is like genuine or true or even possible? <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, this like this is the thing, right? It's just the the conversation is so devoid from um, any uh, type of direction, right? It's like okay, so if the point is that the left is eating itself, and then so stop eating itself, eating yourself. Like, how do you? <laughs> How, to, how to, what is the direction that one goes in to do that given the reality that you've uh, just kind of spelled out for us um hopefully you tell us the answer in your book um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but i you know i also think that um you know there's ways that we can employ the internet to create those types of fora perhaps not on twitter but like you know there might be there might be ways to do it but i think obviously uh, the best ways is when people are in front of one another because as you say we have different faculties for communication and um you know when you are able to use more of them you are a better communicator and so you can communicate with someone that you don't you disagree with their ideas or you don't understand their ideas in a way uh, that can be received with okay this conversation we I want to continue this conversation which um, is less and less possible it feels like online especially with like the mitigating trolls uh, but you know like I said I do think that there are ways that we can create those types of forums online especially if we have closed forums uh with with people mm -hmm. online um and i i just think that it is very crucial for us to think about how we're going to take some of the most complex ideas that we have um right now like like let's talk about the climate crisis right like the the, the climate crisis the solutions are really complex and it's hard to distill down um, to folks who maybe haven't had an opportunity to think about the climate crisis in the ways that others of us have. And it's going to, in order to create the political pressure that we need to force uh, policymakers and those in power to make the changes that need to be made so that the corporations don't continue to destroy us all, we're going to need to be really committed to that education work. And we're going to need to be really committed to having a discussion and debate because there's going to be people who have experiences with the climate crisis who, we, who don't have access to the media in the same ways that others do, right? People who are from indigenous communities who live in poverty are going to have a different experience with the climate crisis than people who've been thinking about it um, from the safe walls of an ivory tower. And that's not to say that what people are communicating from a university context isn't important, but it is to say that more people are going to hear from that university professor than they're going to hear from uh, an indigenous youth uh, from the Amazon. And so that that's something that we have to keep in mind is that the education piece of this is very crucial and we're going to have to be doing um, what we can to create for a, where people who aren't often heard or aren't often part of the discussion but are central to the discussion um, need to be heard. Wow, I have so many different directions that we could go in in this discussion. Um, you know, while you were talking, I was thinking about 
what like do we need to talk about what those forums look like and one of the things that struck me like I always think about like Canada is so fucking big it's so expensive to travel how do we get people together in the same room it seems impossible and then during the research of my book I would be reading about like national conferences that happened in like 18 fucking 90 right and you're like okay like Canada was mm-hmm. actually harder to travel around in 1890 so they did it that was possible for them to do it why is it so hard for us to do it now or even in the 1960s or 1980s or whatever and so I think that social media has also put up the blockers of, of imagination and of thinking of of the necessity to get us together into the same room because we because we have positive uh, things that come from social media we've met people online we found communities of people online there's so many great things about social media but it doesn't replace that that organizing in real life. I mean, one of the things I always say is if you can't be sure that the person you're communicating with is like not a cop, like that is not going to be a platform for revolutionary organizing, <laughs> period. Right. Like, yeah. you know, as yeah. much as someone says who they are online, um, like unless you're certain. Um, well, I mean, of course, real life, uh, it does happen that the police are able to to um, get involved in our organizing uh, in ways that we don't realize, like was during the G20 in Toronto in 2010, where police were undercover and actively participating in anarchist organizations. I mean, at the very least, you still have to become friends with these people and you know who they are in real life. Online, it's so much it's so much easier. And, you know, oftentimes people kind of look at the, the right and they say, like, you know, the right is united. There's a, a big tent of right wing thought that ranges that 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 runs the gambit from really outrageous racist far-right voices to social conservatives to religious uh, conservatives to whatever and then some people will say like members of the green party <laughs> um and so how can they do it in the left can't i think we also need to think about the ways that social media actually help promote the right and how they can use that outrage because the discussions are and the tenor of the discussion is completely different when when everything is 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 bashing stuff and insulting people and smashing things down and saying like completely outrageous shit that's not true of course social media is going to carry your message better when you're trying to be nuanced and you're trying to bring people together and you're trying to have a, have a good have a good faith debate doing that online becomes extremely difficult and then it becomes inaccessible for certain people um, for reasons of time or for reasons of internet connectivity or for reasons of as I said earlier literacy like whatever there's so many barriers to having a good nuanced debate online that these socials that these structures are actually exclusive and we don't talk about the impact that that has on our movements and so what what results in that is, you know, someone like Greta Thun- Thunberg, who becomes like an international superstar for fucking some reason, like I'm not sure what force propelled her. Of course, there's conspiracy theories on the left and the right about what's behind her success. But it means that she's able to bring up more people to a rally in Vancouver or in Montreal or in Edmonton than any number of the local activists whose daily existence is impacted by the climate change or by um, environmental racism. Mm-hmm. And so bizarre. Yeah, right. It's it's really bizarre. And like, I get celebrity culture, and I think that it's great that there's a high profile young woman that is like a really good example of what we need to do. But but like, not the left cannot survive on celebrity culture. There's there's no number of individual people, no matter how impressive or important they are, that is going to be the the catalyst to get us to figure out how to move forward. And instead, we, you know, again, we sit on, on social media oftentimes because even those of us who are active locally, that local organizing doesn't often get out bigger than our own communities. 
Oh man, isn't it so amazing that like the the internet is supposed to be the thing that connects us greater than ever before and that we have the entire like body of knowledge of humanity at our fingertips and somehow it has completely isolated us in profound and difficult ways? (laughs) I mean, who created the internet, Nora? The military. (laughs) I mean, no, but that's what I was getting at. (laughs) Well, it was a, as I now know, since I'm a student at UCLA, it was a student at UCLA. (laughs) (laughs) it's like they've got all these uh banners that say birthplace of the internet everywhere and they've got come um, on uh oh yeah they've got they've got the the classroom where it was like (laughs) created they've like they've like preserved it like it's (laughs) very funny i haven't gone to see it i've just heard about it but it's like in the you know the same blackboard with the same stuff on the board and no (laughs) same test oh yeah it's like very anyway (laughs) Anyway, what I meant by that (laughs) was is like who created internet, the internet, like as it exists today, all the different spaces of the internet. It's mostly um, people who who would create a situation um, (laughs) where a a communication, a a forum for communication, uh, tears us apart, (laughs) (laughs) or doesn't doesn't in fact uh, bring it. Think about things that will bring us together. And so on, and uh, you know, I'm talking about uh, the people who own everything, the the wealthiest uh, white men amongst us. Um, <laughs> but it's also like, and I know you know this from organizing, right? It's like so much easier to tear something down, yeah, than it is to build something. It is so much easier to destroy a thing than to build a thing. So, like, yeah, I mean, the right uh, has an advantage just generally um, because they're being dicks online and that travels, but also because they're often trying to destroy or or dismantle some of the the things that we have spent a very long time in society building. And it's very, very easy to do that. You don't have to, to, to think um, too much about... Uh, like who's going to be affected what are the nuances of this going to be like uh where do we go first uh you know who do we um mm. who do we prioritize when you're saying destroy the healthcare system <laughs> or when you're saying like <laughs> fuck universities or when you're saying you know i i don't want people to have protections on their speech like just tear it all down it is so 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 much easier uh, to destroy something than to build it. And I think that we do have um, some of those tendencies in the left too, that when we, when we feel um, a, like sometimes we'll, we'll feel a movement coming on where it's like, Oh, I can, I can destroy this or I can, I can talk about this um, in a way that's like super maybe devoid from politics. And that is more just about culture um, and, I'm trying to make a pivot to language here and it's not working. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I might be able to help because I feel like um, one of the other things that we also have to appreciate is that, you know, sectarianism on the left is something that has existed since the left has existed. And this is nothing new. This is not new with Internet. No, and it also exists on the right. And I think that we should, you know, make sure that people know about that, too. It's just like political organizing comes with sectarianism. Exactly. And sectarianism is really important. I mean, like the, 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 the NDP is weak 
because the far left is weak, right? The NDP is not weak because like they're just completely not able to figure out what people want and they are incompetent. There, there's a there's a connection between how strong social democracy is and how strong the the, the opposition to social democracy is from the left. And, you know, like I, I know oftentimes people will like get mad at anarchists for doing something and they're like, why did you go and do that? That was unnecessary. That was extreme or whatever. And I, I personally, I love that there is a full diversity of what people engage in. And I'm personally might not be prepared to engage in something. I might not think something is strategic, but I fully appreciate the role that, that different strains of the left play. And I'm comfortable in the strain that I've chosen. And I've chosen it because of the work that I've done. And I understand um, where I think I'm best suited and where I think is the most strategic. And I'm happy to argue about that with people or debate with other people. And I think that the lack of debate just makes people feel uncomfortable because it's like, you know, the second you see, you know, a bank window being smashed and you're like, oh, why did they do that? Like, why did they do that? Because that's going to pivot this, this, the coverage to being vandalism or why did they do that? I don't support vandalism or whatever. It's like, rather than looking at it that way, you could also look at it as a, well, that is a symbolic example of the the pain that the banks have caused on people or these like these are decisions being made by marginalized people and perhaps you're not part of that discussion you're not part of the the strategy and you just have to go maybe I don't understand and we have to be able to live with these differences on the left and and accept these differences on the left where language comes in I think is it's so easy to confuse people about what is the left and there's the, the mm-hmm. subdivisions and the sub subdivisions and the sectarianism and the the good sectarianism and bad sectarianism and because it is so easy to disorient an already fractured and broken uh, movement language becomes weaponized by people to disparage work to tear things down uh, sometimes you have the tyranny of language. So someone who's like super verbose or or, or maybe highly educated, like just slapping people with their th- th- thesaurus. And it's like, yeah, it's <laughs> um, and, and it's also very easy for the right to use leftist language and then confuse the fuck out of everybody. Oh, yeah. And that's a really good example where you see TERFs, right? Where the word feminist is in, in the word TERF. And then all of a sudden people are like, well, I don't understand why these feminists are such dicks. Yeah. <laughs> Or like you know, one of my uh, pet peeves is like the the uh, the way that the right uses the word silence uh, all the time, which, you know, like the conception of silence on the left that we're often talking about comes from like a really, um, you know, uh, academic way to talk about how uh, certain identities are, are literally uh, not given the space uh, to speak actively from uh, more dominant identities and it doesn't mean that Nora and I are having an argument and then I said something that uh, she disagrees with and so she says I disagree with you or maybe more forcefully like shut the fuck up um, and <laughs> then I say that I'm silenced like that's not what it <laughs> actually means what it means is that you, you don't see um, the opinions and discussions um, that are uh, the closest and most important to black women in our media like because they are actively silenced generally uh from society like the 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 voice of black women are silenced in our broader culture and so you know the left has this this concept that they uh, come up with and develop 
uh, in an academic context. And then the right, like, it's like, oh, how do we take this and spin it? Which is, it's a total tactic of theirs because they do it with so many of our concepts and they take silence. And then all of a sudden, oh. fucking, I don't know, uh, Tucker Carlson is on television talking about how he's been, I don't know if this is real, but I'm sure it is, how he's been silenced uh, from like Greta Thunberg. Like, <laughs> it's just like, it, it becomes like this really bizarre thing. But it's also a part of the problem is um, how, you know, when we come up with these concepts on the left, um, again, a lack of education um, to making these concepts useful uh, for us to talk about in society beyond um, the, the people who are like developing it um, in an academic sense. Because these concepts, you know, we're, we're like naming things that aren't um, necessarily um uh, understood or don't necessarily have names uh, in society and we need to give them names to give them um, uh, like a recognizability and ability to talk about them and so on. But so many people need these concepts and they need them um, in the very specific ways that they've been developed. And if we don't do the education work um, to to responsibly um, make sure that that these concepts can be used in the way that they they so desperately need to be used well then the right can come and take them and destroy them and make them not useful at all mm -hmm. you must be thinking of a couple of uh, examples of this i certainly have some of my, my mind but what are your favorite examples of uh, this happening Other oh than there's silence. so many there's there's so so many and like you know, for a while, I, I had in my office when Nora and I used to work in, in an office together, like a list of words that I didn't want people to say in my office <laughs> unless they were going to like do work to make sure that people really understood what we were talking about. Because I, I, you know, sometimes the other thing that happens with some of these words and terms is that we start using them as signifiers for um, our own cultural place uh, rather than uh, using them uh, to uh, talk about particular terms. So like some that I'm talking about are, uh, oof, what's a good one? Trigger warning. Mm, trigger warning. <laughs> trigger warning. You know, it's a very important concept um, that has often been used uh, incorrectly, uh, certainly by the right, um, but also incorrectly uh, by the left. Mm -hmm. and, um, and there hasn't been enough like education work so that people can uh, talk about what the idea of a trigger warning is and uh, has also uh, diluted what it means. But, but also the idea of using the words trigger warning to give a trigger warning, like we don't have to do that, <laughs> right? Like the concept trigger warning is uh, to make sure that people um, are aware that what they're going to be viewing, reading, experiencing might be difficult for them. If I told my mother that I was going to give her a trigger warning, she wouldn't know what I was talking about. Because that's just, it's not culturally something that she would understand. But when the news or a television program says, um, a warning to viewers, some of what you're about to experience might be disturbing. Like that is, that is a, trigger warning. a, a content <laughs> note. That is a trigger warning. But we don't have mm -hmm. to necessarily use either those particular words. Or we can make sure that when we're using those terms, that we do it not without the education work that needs to be done. And so what does the right do when we when we 
use such terms without uh, doing the education work that needs to be done around them or, um, you know, uh, devoid of uh, what its original purpose is. They use that concept of trigger warning to say that we're all snowflakes or something like that, despite the fact that these types of warnings have existed in our culture since, you know, certainly since before I was born, like a really long time. This is this is it's 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 regular and we we've been talking about it more in a different way but without doing the necessary education work to make sure that everyone's brought along with us yeah what's what's one of your faves well I was just gonna say I actually this is also in my book oh (laughs) really yeah I gotta give you a copy of it (laughs) (laughs) yeah you do um, yeah, no, exactly. Um, one of the things, one of the, the terms I think actually, which is an example, I, I can come up with other ones that are that have been completely distorted or whatever. I think, you know, gaslighting is another great example as well. And now everything is gaslighting. And instead of saying lying, we're just saying gaslighting. And it's like, no, or no, cultural no. appropriation or microaggressions, like the, yeah. the multiple words for racism that um, that that become distorted out in the world. Yep. Yeah. But one of the words that I think the work had been done in a very good way is uh, rape culture, because mm-hmm. I remember when rape culture started to become something that like feminists re- were, were saying more and more. I felt like it was a signifier that they were all in the know and I wasn't because I never could wrap my head around what the fuck that meant. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I knew that we lived in a culture that was misogynistic. I knew that rape was normalized, but the but the idea of rape culture never f- sat well with me because I couldn't parse those two words together. And the work that feminists did to make that into a term on its own so that you're not sitting there going rape culture. What is rape culture? But instead of saying rape culture, like as a shorthand for the way that misogyny and patriarchy uh, you know, um, sexualizes women, especially sex- sexualizes young women and girls and in the rampant um, uh, sexual assaults that exist or harassment, blah, 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 like on, on which the entire society is built. The work that that people did to, to, to normalize and to explain in French, we would say vulgarize. And so I always want to say that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that term was was exactly, I think, what you're talking about, that we have to be very aware that, you know, that the left if we're if we're doing the 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 work of knowledge creation then we also have to do the work of knowledge dissemination yes, and we cannot exactly. use these terms to 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 be to bludgeon people who are not in it or with it or whatever and that i think is also probably what this person meant by the left eating itself because i mean we don't really have leftist movements that are that strong and so the true um, consumption, uh, the auto consumption of the left is not at the at the level it should be because we don't have much of a left, right? And so I suspect it's more of these kinds of um, uh, uh, feelings of being uh, like aggressed or of being uh, outside of the know or not being woke. I mean, fuck, woke is another really good example of one of these fucking words, right? Mm-hmm. And and yeah, and and we need to talk about what when we are creating knowledge, then the dissemination of that knowledge has to be done in a very careful and a very intelligent way. Another great example of it done right is misogynoir, which is yes. a concept that, you know, I imagine has existed for many, many, many years, but has only been in the in the mainstream for a couple of years. And you can talk about the different 
racism, sexism, the combination of 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 both experienced by black women by saying misogynoir and people go, okay, I understand what you're saying. Yes. And even the way that, um, uh, especially in the last, uh, I would say, five or six years, um, the idea of anti-black racism, which is a concept that's been around for a really long time, but the way that it's been, um, uh, you know, uh, carefully used to educate people about the fact that this is something specific, um, that has also been done really, really well. Uh, but, you know, we, we got to be careful with the way that we are employing language and culture um, in in our goals, because it is so easy to be able to be manipulated um, uh, through these things. Um, and part of it is because of what we were talking about before, the lack of um, spaces in which we can we can do some of the dissemination work um, that is so, so crucial to our movements. And so what do we do with all this? Nora, like, we identified a bunch of stuff. Like, what do we do? <laughs> I know, we ran out of time, so we'll just be like, sorry, everybody, figure it out. <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. Um, I think that the most important thing that we do in our practice of, like, social change, whatever the fuck that means for you individually or for you collectively, if you're all listening around a radio listening to us with a group of people, <laughs> is um, is that we, one, have to find spaces to do this stuff uh, in real life. And whether that means in real life, like, literally in real life or via Skype or whatever, like, coming together is really, really important. And if you're in an organization that has the resources and the capacity to bring people together, you fucking should be bringing people together. I mean, this is where the labor movement movement is both very good and very bad. It's very good in that conventions are still held oftentimes in real life and people are able to argue about things on convention floor. And it's kind of bad in that they're not necessarily expanding uh, these kinds of spaces to be reaching people who aren't unionized. So that's that's something I think for people to listen to think about if they are in any kind of grouping of people that has money, especially if you're like a disgruntled liberal and you hate the liberal party and you want to figure out a way to spend some other money in a on a good cause. <laughs> and my my final piece of advice um, would be to think about all of the ways in which the left is vulnerable to being infiltrated and being attacked, being surveyed and being confused by the right. Because in all of our discussions about about the left eating itself, there is a right wing piece of shit that is actually fermenting it and making things worse. And so, you know, we know, especially on the on those those subjects that are the most touchy, where you have people who might mask up and who might um, engage in in vandalism or engage in whatever in acts at a protest that you're really frustrated by and you get get upset by, if you get upset by that, to know that we know in this country that police infiltrate these movements all the fucking time. And that oftentimes the things that you're most upset by, you are being manipulated to be upset mm-hmm. by it. And so, the 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 speeches given in in at at, uh, at Mohawk College in Hamilton, where uh, a little old lady was like harassed from uh, angry, mean, racialized anarchists, um, little old white lady just trying to get into a speech uh, given by fucking like proto fascists, <laughs> including Maxime Bernier. I mean, we can't be manipulated by this stuff, and the manipulation is is the is driven by the right there's no question that this stuff is being driven by the right whether it's it's extremely organized or it's like chaotically organized it's being organized by the right but leftists who look at that stuff and who are uncomfortable with it and then who say i agree we need to condemn that what happened there like you got to think really hard about who is making this into an outrage 
and why are they making an intro outrage and is the true outrage that um some folks blocked access to an event hosted by david rubin and maxim bernier or is the true outrage the fact that these fucking people are trying to get in there right huh <sighs> that was a lot <laughs> Uh, to talk about and to think about a little headier than our last few episodes but thank you very much sherry uh, who came to our live show in toronto a couple weeks ago and gave us that idea i hope um that, that was kind of what you were thinking about and for other listeners especially our new listeners send us ideas of things to talk about that you you would like to hear us talk about um we take those ideas from time to time and we chat about them we do, we do. And I just also want to uh, shout out someone else who was giving me tons of ideas for a show and we didn't talk about those ideas yet. I want to shout out Steve for uh, his ideas. Um, he was saying that, of course, the, at some point we need to talk about Western separatism and, and alienation. And I think that that would be a wonderful topic for us to talk about. Not because we need to take those fools seriously, but, you know, maybe a future episode we can talk about self-determination and sovereignty and why Canada is fake. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> on that note, have a great week, everybody. Happy Halloween or whatever, I guess. <laughs>